The following program is being brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon, and welcome to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Over the next hour, you'll learn how to see your true self in the midst of life's twists and turns. You'll be challenged to think outside of the box when it comes to the mysteries of life. Now, here's your host, Andrea Matthews. Good afternoon, and welcome to the Authentic Living Show. You know, there's just a few people out there using the terms divine self in, uh, together as uh, reflective on each other. And uh, so, you know, when it comes to talking about self or the divine, we usually separate those two concepts entirely. But today we're going to put them together. The question we're going to ask is, what is divine about self? And in order to answer that question, we first have to understand that self, with a capital S, is not the same as self with a little a small s. Indeed, what we consider to be self or personality is commonly made up of identity. Identity is formed by introjecting the projections of those who were most significant to us in our early upbringing. It's not who we actually are. Rather, it is a mask and costume we've worn for so long and for so deep that we define ourselves by it without even knowing that it's a mask and costume. Self, with a capital S, is who we were and are before we interjected those projections. Self, with a capital S, is who we came here to be. But what has that to do with the divine? Stay right here to find out today. So, okay, let's talk about self and uh, the small s, self, as identity. And, And let's just talk about how that happens. I've said this in other shows, but it bears repeating because it's a concept that's relatively new to the public, although it's been studied for quite a a long time. One of the books that I have really loved studying about that is a book called The Primal Wound by Furman and Gia, and um, they talk all about something that Bradford called uh, the the primal um, family trance, so that um, what he says is that the family... What Bradshaw says is that the family gets in, into a um, family trance where everybody just does what it does without thinking about what it does. Everybody does the same thing. If you ask people uh, what were the sort of rules in their family that no one spoke of but everybody knew to be true, everybody knows what those rules were. Um, oh, we weren't supposed to feel Oh, we weren't supposed to uh, talk back. Or we weren't supposed to wake Dad up. He was sleeping drunk. Um, uh, we weren't supposed to um, to talk about money. You know, just rules that were we all knew were true, but nobody ever told us. Now, don't you do that? You know, talking back might be an exception to that. But the idea is that those rules were passed across 
the ethers, if you will, to each one of us without anybody having said a word. That's how uh, it's part of how we know it's a hypnotic state. And by that, I don't mean you're going to go around clucking like a chicken, like the stage hypnosis that we see at a at a entertainment show. I'm talking about a trance state that operates um, on its own, independent of who we actually are, but but defines us. And so we live that out. So let's talk a little bit about how that happens. If I'm an infant, um, and you can read some of uh, some uh, some other material about this by uh, under- just looking up identity online, but I'm going to sort of give you a brief overview. When we're in the, between the ages of zero and seven, our identities are formed, and uh, well, I would say even zero and ten. Others say zero and seven. Bruce Lipton has written a book called The Honeymoon Effect, in which he talks about the the uh, mind states that we're in. So in the earliest stages, we're in the delta brainwave state between zero and two. And he says that's a very receptive uh, brainwave state where we're just sort of receiving from the world what it, what it projects onto us. And from the ages of two to seven, he says that we are in a theta brainwave state, which is a very highly imaginative brain, a brainwave state in which we can imagine that uh, a um, spool of thread, for example, might be a plane or a train or anything we want it to be. Um, but we also, in that same brainwave state, can connect dots that don't really belong together. So if I got mad at Dad and said, I hate you, I hate you, I wish you were dead, which very commonly kids do say things like that because they don't know what the word dead really means. And uh, the next day, Dad goes out and gets in an automobile accident and is killed, and I might say, oh, my God, I wish my father dead, and there he's dead. Now I did that. So those are dots that don't really belong together. They're not really connected. So uh, in those two brainwave states, we're very, very receptive to being, being confused and confounded about who we actually are. We come here as one thing. But our family has a different idea about what we ought to be. We, we know of examples of, of adults where the father or the mother just won't let go of the child and won't let the child live as an adult uh, ought to live. So they want the adult to be a doctor and the, and the uh, adult wants to be an artist. And the adult goes off trying to be an artist and the family says, okay, fine, you won't have any of our money. You won't, we won't help you go to school. We won't help you do these things. So what they're basically saying is, you are not who we, we want you to be. Well, if you can imagine that happening to an infant or a toddler or a preschooler, then you can imagine how powerful that influence is. Not only that, but what Furman and Gia say in their book, The Primal Wound, is that we don't have the capacity to say no to that when we're infants and toddlers. We don't have the ability to say no to that. Why? Because we need these people. We need them desperately. And so that if whatever their agendas are that are sort of floating around in the air, if you will, and I use that term very loosely, uh, we're going to absorb those because we're, we're in that receptive state and then that highly imaginative state, and we're going to assume those as identity. And why, why would we assume as identity? Because at that same, those same ages, we are looking for mirrors. We're looking out at the world to give us, tell us who we are. It's like we come here going, well, who am I this time? And, and we look out at the world and the world says, well, here you are. here's who you are. 
And we look at those mirrors and we say, oh, that's who I am. And so if mom perpetually, and I don't mean she comes in once or twice like this. I mean if she fairly constantly comes in in a very angry or depressed mood, the child will absorb that. Maybe he'll pick up her anger and, and act it out for her so she doesn't have to do it. Or maybe he'll decide he's depressed. Or maybe he'll decide that he's to blame for her depression. One of those kinds of things will happen for the child. And it depends in part on who the child actually is. So, for example, uh, as the authentic child, a child may come here with a great capacity for empathy. That child very commonly is the child that is picked out and assigned the role of the scapegoat in the family. That's the one who's responsible for all the emotions in the family. That's the one who's, who, who uh, it feels the most guilt about everything that goes on in the family and somehow feels that it's his or her fault, that things go wrong or that people are unhappy. Um, that's the one because that's the one with empathy. The empathy was the skill. Another example is a child comes here innately uh, uh, very, very bright, very intelligent. And so that child will more than likely not be the one who's chosen to carry emotions. Rather, that one will be the, the, the smart one that we can brag about, the one that we can feel good about because we've got a smart child. And that child will, will have that reinforced again and again and will grow up believing that his or her intellect is how he or she survives. So we put our survival, and that's what's so important about what uh, Furman and Gia say in The Primal Wound is that they... That trance state that we get in is a survival trance state where the identity becomes this, the foundational core around which everything else in our lives evolve, revolve so that, we, so that now instead of the authentic self being the central core, survival becomes the central core. I must survive. I need these people to help me stay alive. Therefore, I will survive by being what they want me to be. Besides, they provided me with this handy mirror. It must be so. So that's kind of a, a, a brief overview of how that happens with children. And, and, and it happens that way with all of us. And so to one degree or another, we have adapted a, uh, and adopted a, a, an identity that looks like a personality that isn't who we really are. And we, when we reach adolescence, the, the, the hope is that we'll begin to put that aside and develop something more authentic. People call this the rebellious stage for a reason. Children have to juxtapose who they are against their, their parents in order to say, well, who am I really? I mean, that's who they taught me I was, but who am I really? And that's what that period of time is supposed to be. And so it can create some upheaval, especially for the parents, because the parents don't want the child to, to, to buck the system. But uh, it, it also it doesn't really work in its, in its perfected form. It very commonly works out that children, instead of identifying with parents now, they do rebel against the parents. They don't want to be like whatever it is the parents want them to be. But what they tend to do is get involved with another group of people with whom they do the same exact things that the identity is structured to do. So they might hang out with people who 
need them to stay in the scapegoat role or they might hang out with people who need them to stay in the victim role or they might hang out with people who need them to stay in the superwoman or superman or superhero role. Either way, they, they're they doing what they got taught to do. The identity doesn't go away. They just transfer it onto their peers. And later, when they get involved in primary relationships, they transfer that same thing onto their relationships. That's why people marry people the same kind of person over and over again. It's not because they're marrying dad or mom, although that's the going theory out there. It's because they are marrying someone who reminds them of the unresolved issues with dad or mom. So whatever's unresolved by the time they hit uh, that period of time when they're going to actually commit to someone in a relationship, they will uh, pick out people that are very similar to whatever the unresolved issues are that they have with their parents. And they will be generally people who will prop up that identity. So if I'm superwoman, I'm likely to marry someone who needs me to take care of them, which I would call the big baby, the king baby, the Peter Pan, the the clown. There's lots of different names for that identity. Um, And uh, so what will happen then is then I'll, I'll do this because that's the kind of person that I've loved in the past and so I'm going to love that kind of person now. And then later I start getting pretty tired of it. And that is when the authentic self has an opportunity to step forward. Now we can squash it again. We do have that capacity to go, no, 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 I can't do that. That would rock too many boats. I'm not going to do that. But it is an opportunity. It's an open door for the authentic self to come through and say, wait a minute, this isn't working for you to live out of this identity. Look how unhappy you are. Look how much pain you've got in your life. This situation is almost abusive to you. What, what are you doing here? Stop this. And that's, uh, so that's a perfect time when people come into therapy and, and want to know how it is that they got themselves in this mess and how they, how they can get out of it. Um, Generally speaking, when people first come to therapy, they want to spend a lot of time talking about the person that they are mad at or person they're consumed by. But that is a way of talking about themselves as well because what it does is is, is say, this is not working for me. And if, if the therapist is someone who can say, okay, well, you know, where, wh- how are you playing into that? What is that? What is your role in this whole dynamic? Um, then the person might begin to get clear on on what's really going on between them and this significant other. That's one way. Another time we run into those same kinds of people are people at work. We find ourselves frustrated with the people at work who do the same things that were done to us as children or which, which um, capacitate our identity to stay in form. So if I'm superwoman, again, I'm going to just use that because it's real easy then I'm going to go into work and I'm going to do it all yesterday and I'm going to get the, the boss is going to love me because I do it all yesterday and everybody thinks that, oh, well, give it to Andrea. She'll do it. It'll be fine. Just give it to Andrea. And they don't do their jobs because, heck, they can give it to me. So uh, I may eventually get pretty esteemed about that and want to do something different uh, but feel that I can't because what if I say something to the boss then I'll be fired then if they've expected this of me for so long and what will that what will they do if if I suddenly start saying wait a minute I can't do this anymore often this happens uh, with an awareness of health as well that their health starts to go down and they ha- then they have to say something to the boss 
Um, and that's another opportunity for the authentic self to come forward and say, wait, now let's try to be, let's try to do this in a way that is working more effectively for you. So, um, so, so I spent a lot of time talking about this identity because it's very, very important for us to understand that who we act like, who we think like, even who we feel like is very commonly not who we really are. And if we pay attention, we commonly notice that there's another voice inside there that has something to say that's in great disagreement with what we're doing. Sometimes people come into therapy because they don't understand why they do the things they do. That's a great opportunity for the authentic self to come forward. So so they would say, well, there's just something wrong with me. I mean, I have people come in all the time that say, well, I'm going to be your most screwed up patient. I'm going to be the person that you're going to be most frustrated with. And I think that's really interesting because I haven't met that person yet. But... Um, but they come in and they say that because they think there's something really wrong with them because they got this one thing going on inside of them and this whole other thing going on in their behavior. Or this one thing going on inside of them in their hearts and a whole other thing going on in their thoughts. Or this self-talk that drags them down and they don't understand how that happens. That's a mantra. It's, it helps us stay in the hypnotic sta- trance state. Our self-talk is a mantra that keeps us stuck in the hypnotic trance state of identity. Unless, of course, the mantra begins to come from the authentic self. So um, it's really, really important that we get that primary principle that we are commonly wearing masks and costumes that have helped us survive. And we can definitely say namaste, thank you very much to the costume and mask for getting us this far, for helping us to survive. Because it absolutely has helped us to survive to this point. And we can begin to say, okay, you've helped me stay alive. You were the ship that got me across the ocean. Now I need to learn to walk on land. Now I need to learn to walk in the authentic self. So, um, so we can do that. And, and, and will, the, will the identity go completely away? Well, that's not the point. The point isn't that it go away. The point is that the authentic self get integrated. And we can begin to differentiate between... The, the mask and costume and the authentic self by beginning to listen to that other voice and giving it some power, giving it some credence, uh, giving it some, um, some way to be able to be heard inside of us as an authentic voice. What we've been taught is that that other voice, that authentic voice, well, you know, it's not, you shouldn't listen to that because it's not going to tell you what I want you to know. I'm your mother or I'm your father and I want you to know this other thing entirely so don't be listening to that crap you know and 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 of course so we feel that we're betraying our family systems by just listening to our own authenticity and so we have this kind of mild guilt that goes with it and we just kind of go gosh I feel so bad about that or I can't really believe that cuz you know that's that's way out there you know but if it feels true to us then what do we do now we're in cognitive dissonance, another great opportunity for the authentic self to come forward and present itself in full to us so that we can begin to go, oh, okay, that, that feels real. And one of the ways we can be sure that we've tapped into the authentic self is by how it feels inside of us. If it feels joyful, if it feels peaceful, it's authentic. And I'm not talking about happiness or contentment. I'm talking about joy and peace. And we're going to talk some more about that after the break. Uh, and we are going to explain why it is, what, what makes this self divine, this authentic self divine. So you want to be here for that. So we're going to be right back right after these messages. 
the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Broaden your mind. Open your heart for a greater understanding of how to express your pure and authentic nature. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Simron, author, publisher, and life mentor, broadens minds and opens hearts to a greater understanding of life, consciousness, and humanity. 1111 Talk Radio is every Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. 1111 Talk Radio. You are not on a journey. You are the journey. You are experience experiencing itself. Spoiler alert. A space of being may cause spontaneous laughter, extra money, ease, joy, magic showing up in your life, and outrageously orgasmic moments. Join Grace Hart live every Wednesday at 2 p.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel, where she combines her psychic abilities and the tools of access consciousness to assist you to create a totally different reality and transform your personal and professional life, including relationships and finance. I wonder what magical possibilities await you at a space of being. We are all searching for a deeper meaning in life. The possibility exists to create our life from the perspective of our true divine nature, where the experience of joy, love, abundance, freedom, and peace is our birthright. On the Inner Frontier, host Darlene Green presents a new topic every week with a high-frequency conversation to support a gentle revealing of the divine that is unique to you. Tune in every Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel for The Inner Frontier. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Be extraordinary. Be the change. listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to andrea at andreamatthews.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. You know, all of us have favorite TV shows. One of my favorites is the two-time Emmy Award-winning series, Super Soul Sunday. Well, it's coming back again on March the 13th with a brand-new series in which uh, Oprah is going to interview criminal justice activist Shaka Senghor, psychologist Daniel Goleman, Pastor Joel Olstein, actor-comedian Tracy Morgan, New York Times bestselling author Cheryl Strayed, religious scholar Reza Aslan, these are people going to be uh, on the series on different dates. And so it's coming up March 13th. Set your DVRs for that date. And don't miss that first show with Shaka Senghor. I'll be talking more about that specific show next Thursday. And the Authentic Living Show is also sponsored by the American Institute of Holistic Theology. AIHT offers degrees in interfaith and interspiritual educational programs that enable you to not only find your own authentic spirituality, but to bring your unique gift to the world in service upon graduation. At AIHT, you can get a master's, doctorate, or ministerial bachelor's degree, and the doctoral programs are broken down so that you can get a Ph.D., 
a Doctor of Ministry, or in the Holistic Theology program, a Doctor of Theology degree. The programs in which you may get these degrees are Holistic Theology, Holistic Health, Holistic Ministries, Metaphysics, and Parapsychology. These courses offer depth and meaning to not only your own spiritual search for truth and peace, but to your capacities to bring your healing, loving, guiding gifts to the world. What's most important about to AIHT's model is the exploratory nature of the studies that reach to the depths of all the world religions, traditions, and paths, and even to transcend them to find the mystical core of them all in order to facilitate your own journey to your own authentic spirituality by utilizing, as your text-writing teachers, spiritual experts from all over the world. You can learn more about what's offered by going to www.aiht.edu or if you'd like to talk directly to the admissions director, call Beverly Love at 800-650-4325. You know, Oprah says education is the key to unlocking the world, a passport to freedom. Call and get your passport today. So we're talking today uh, about self and, and divine self in particular. And the question we're asking is, what is divine about self? Uh, and in the first segment, what we've done is spend considerable time explaining that who we think we are is very commonly not who we actually are at all because we've put on identities. And this is a psychological construct that's gotten a lot of attention over the past 20, 25 years. And the self has as well, from particularly from a psychological perspective with uh, lots of people writing about what that is to have a self. Carl Jung is one of my favorite writers, and he writes quite a bit about it. And Carl Jung connects the self to what he calls the Imago Dei, or the image of God. Um, Whatever that image is, it can be very different for different people. And I have a theory that it's different for every individual, that what I see as the divine is might be very different from what you see as the divine because we all have a different relationship. That's one of the things that I we discovered in my family of origin that my siblings and myself each had a different mother. Each one of us experienced our mother in a very different way. And I believe it's the same with with the divine, that we each experience the divine in a different way. Maybe there are similarities but there's and commonalities that can allow us to establish religions, for example, but but, uh, but there's this definite, distinct, very individual and intimate image that we have of the divine that is ours and ours alone. So when we talk about the divine, I talk about the divine with respect to every one of those images. And, uh, and so I don't want to present anything here today or any other time that indicates that there's an image of God that is the image of God. Um, but Carl Jung talks about the Imago Dei or the image of the divine being within us all, and that, um, that the self is the most, uh, most like that Imago Dei that we have. He, he calls the self a, a place of wholeness, where we, uh, where we have integrated all the differentiated aspects of self. One of those, of course, is going to be identity. Another is going to be the ma- masculine archetype and the feminine archetype, the maternal archetype and the paternal archetype, the, uh, the, uh, the idea of self and the idea of other. All of those things will be sort of merged into an, an integrated uh, essence or wholeness as we grow into ourselves, and he calls that process individuation. That process is very much likened to a process of divinization as well. 
Um, and we can read about that. You can look that up in Google and, and learn a little bit more about that. Some of the earliest teachers of Christianity and some of the earliest teachers of what Christianity would have called heresy both taught that um, that we have this uh, essence within us that is divine and that um, that we can go within ourselves to find it. So currently we have many people who are meditating, who have begun the practice of meditation and continue that practice uh, quite successfully. And those people will tell you that they have reached these places of deep, deep, deep peace where they feel they have what we call a unitive experience. It is an experience where they are feel united with all things and all people, a kind of oneness experience, and they, they feel uh, enlightened. They feel that they understand life in a different way than they've understood it before, that they have... Um, they have come to something so deep and so profound that they cannot ever forget it again. Um, and the, this happens on a regular basis when they meditate. It's not something that just happens once and they had, you know, have this struck by lightning on the road to Damascus effect. But rather that they are, uh, are daily or at least several times a week experiencing this, this profound um, uh, presence of their own oneness with all things. So um, Eckhart Tolle talks about being present with the now, where we are able to, to, to be really clear that we are here, we are present with ourselves, and we are experiencing with a, a kind of amazement what is actually happening in the now. And so those are all some ways that we can begin to say, well, okay, there's something inside of me that's divine, but why would I call that a self? I mean, we've had centuries of teaching, particularly in the West, where we have been taught that the self is bad, that, that, that we're not, we were born into original sin, that we are uh, somehow evil and therefore separated from the divine, and we can strive really hard to be good, and maybe, 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 we will connect again with the divine, and and that will be a connection, kind of like a relationship with the other. But it won't be us. We we can't say we're that. That's blasphemy to say that we're one with the divine. Isn't that what they crucified Jesus for? And Jesus actually was one with the divine, right? But we we can't say that about ourselves. And yet, when we look at the Christian scriptures in the New Testament. We find uh, Jesus saying, because I go to the Father, greater things than these shall you do. Um, so basically what he's saying is, you got it too, babe. <laughs> That's what he's saying. He's saying, you got it. You got what I got. And it's we're not different. Uh, later in Revelations, he calls himself, I'm your brother. Don't worship me. Get up off your knees. Don't worship me. I'm your brother. Uh, so when we, when we think about these things, we... we We've been taught a certain dogma, a certain doctrine about, and, and even if we're not in the Christian religion, those kinds of things have almost become archetypal because they've been around for so long that even people in the secular world carry around this sense of, yeah, I can't really consider myself to be a good person because that would be arrogant and that would be trying to be something divine, something bigger than I am. 
So what I do with all that is I just junk it all. <laughs> and I don't do that in any kind of deliberate fashion. I do it because I have experienced those deep, transcendent um, connections with that unitive experience that, um, that tells me something entirely different. That tells me that what, what that stuff is is a way of trying to understand life, and I totally get it, but it understands life from a very dualistic perspective. So a couple of weeks ago, I had a, a radio show called uh, About Duality. And if you want to know more about duality, please go back and listen to that. It just was like two or three weeks ago. You can go back into the archives and find it and listen to it. It's an in-depth explanation of what I think duality really means. But, but our understanding of life then comes from this idea that we are separate from the divine. We're here alone. We're lost. We have got to find some way, striving after goodness, providing some kind of ritual, saying some kind of prayer, doing something like that that's going to hook us up again with the divine. And then we'll at least be able to, to say that we can talk to the divine. We can, you know, we can have a relationship with the divine. But never, 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 ever, 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 ever say that you are one with the divine because that is blasphemy. Well, I'm saying it here today. Call me blasphemous if you want. I'm saying that the, we are divine beings who have forgotten who we are. We have forgotten who we are because we have been taught to forget who we are in the same way that a child grows up in his home, his or her home, and forgets who he actually is in order to put on the identity. We've all done that in our homes, and that's a psychological construct. From a spiritual perspective, which I consider to be a psycho-spiritual perspective, we have also forgotten who we are as divine beings. So, what is divine about self? Well, first we have to look at what we mean when we talk about the divine. What most of us mean is that it is some kind of holiness, some kind of absolute goodness, that cannot be questioned. It is beyond the realm of questioning because it's utter goodness. Again, that's a dualistic concept because we've divided the world up into good and bad. People are not good. God is good. Um, um, some people's actions are really bad. Other people's actions are really good. And we've divided them up based on what they look like to us. Um, but the truth is that people's actions very commonly come from their identities. They don't come from who they actually are. They come from their identities. Their beliefs come from their identities because they've been taught to view the world a certain way. Their mantras, those things that, that self-talk that we say to ourselves day in and day out, um, comes from that identity because it wants to tell us to stay in the identity because we're afraid that if we don't, we won't survive. In fact, in some cases, we're afraid we won't even exist. So... You know, when we when it comes to understanding this whole thing about the divine, we have to, again, junk some of that old stuff and say, all right, who is the divine to me? How do I experience the divine? We could actually literally compare how we viewed the divine to how we view our parents. And very commonly what we find is that there are great similarities there, that, there, that, that, that how my mother or my father was is how I perceive God to be as well. God or the divine, however you want to think about that. So, so mom was cold and indifferent, therefore the divine is cold and indifferent. Dad was abusive and tricky, and therefore the divine is abusive and tricky. Uh, we, we don't know that until we sit down with pen and pencil 
and look at it and just try to make those connections between how do I view the divine and how do I view my parents? Because very commonly, whatever blocks us from connecting more to that deeper essence in us is is something very similar to how we see our parents. We see the divine that way, therefore, we see our parents that way. I believe that that's what the book of Job is all about. Uh, One day I'm going to write that book too, so I won't go into too much detail about that. But um, what I believe was happening to Job is that he was peeling off the layers of his image of the divine and coming to terms with who divine actually was. And that's why he said in the end, my eyes have... I have, uh, I've heard of you by the hearing of my ear, but now my eyes have seen you. And I repent in dust and ashes is what the translators have said that is, but actually it says something entirely different. It's actually saying, oh, I feel such sorrow for all mankind that we don't know this. Um, so uh, this whole thing about suffering, you know, we think we suffer because we're bad, and of course we suffer because, you know, once we get to heaven, whatever that is to us, and that is another thing we have very individualized concepts of. Um, once we get out of this out of this flesh and bone, then we'll be able to experience no more suffering. And we think we suffer because we're bad. We're we're not good enough. We are unworthy in some way, and we can't get it. We can't figure it out. We hadn't got it yet. Whatever, however you want to say that, we we don't equate ourselves to the divine in that. And yet, what I find to be true is that our suffering, and there's other. Uh, radio shows on this as well that our suffering uh, brings us closer to awareness of who we are as divine beings like everything else brings us closer to awareness of who we are as divine beings if we listen if we listen that's the big if Uh, so uh, one of the there's a a couple of passages in the the Christian Bible and Jewish Tanakh uh, that are really uh, very very important to this whole thing one of them is in the Jewish Tanakh and it says uh, wherever I go, there you are. It's talking to God, to the divine, well, God in the Jewish Tanakh. And uh, it says that, you know, even if I go down to Sheol, there you are. No matter where I go, there you are. I can't get away from you. And what that essentially is saying is, I am one with the divine. You and I are one. There's no place I can go that where you're not. I can go into my sorrow, and there you are. I can go into my joy, and there you are. I can go into my peace, and there you are. I can go into my anger, and there you are. I can go into a, a you know, crazy place inside of me. I can go do terrible things, and there you are. There you are. We can't get away from it. Why? Because we're one with it. There's so much that's been mistranslated from those texts because we're not we're not we're picking out words from the from the potential translations that match a duality perspective on the divine. So we picked out words that match that instead of going, "Wait, look at that. It's, uh, there's no place I can go where the divine isn't." And it says that again in the New Testament in the Christian perspective, I think it was Paul or maybe it was Peter that wrote um, you know, regardless of principalities and powers, no matter what, there you are. I'm, you're always there. Nothing can separate me from the love of God. That's what it says. So we're, it, it's, it's all in there. It's all in the text. We have to look for it because we've been taught that those texts mean something else. But we, we, those texts are saying the same thing. The Bhagavad Gita says the same thing outright. calls us divine self in the Bhagavad Gita. Uh, there's many sacred texts, which I won't spend a lot of time going into, that really are just iterations of the same idea 
that that we we are one with the divine. We have never lost that capacity. We just think we have. And because like our identity, we can think we are something we're not, we think we are not divine beings. And uh, And in that process, what we do is lose touch with that. So... We need to talk in this next segment about what that means to be divine. What is, what is divine about the self? So you stay tuned for this next segment. I'm going to finally answer that real question. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. It's time to wake up and transform into your higher self. Tune into Light and Radio with host Jay-Z Bound. This is a show that's meant for you if you're seeking your highest and fullest potential. It's already within you. All you need to do is discover it and nurture it to reality. Jay-Z is an intuitive and health and ascension facilitator. Get ready to connect to the divine and your authentic self. Be here for Light and Radio every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time. 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Being Here with Ariel and Shia Kane is an ordinary person's guide to modern-day enlightenment. This show is an exciting exploration which opens the door to living in the moment. Don't miss Being Here. Tune in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 noon Eastern with Ariel and Shia Kane, right here on the 7th Wave Network. Why spiritual spelunking? Why tending to our inner garden? Why devoting time to inner being when so much external doing calls upon us? An Indian sage put it wisely, your own self-realization is the greatest service you can render the world. Join host Jeel Asselin as he serves as both guide and companion on the journey within. Nurturing the Spiritual Spelunker in All of Us can be heard every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll-free, 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to andrea at andreamatthews.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Okay, so we've talked about identity, we've talked about the self, now let's answer the question, what's divine about self? Well, it isn't the goodness. There's a song out there that a a lot of us sing called, God is so good. Um, It's not about goodness. It's not about that kind of squaring off against evil. It's not about good or evil. It's it's totally neutral in value. Uh, It's not about uh, worthiness, although it definitely is worthy. Uh, it's not about striving to attain something uh, that makes us into good people or makes us feel 
more alive. It's not about striving at all. It's a matter of fact, it's about being still and ceasing striving to know that we are divine. Uh, it's about the, what is divine about the self is knowledge of the self. Knowing the self is what makes us, makes us know we are divine. It's a mystery that can't, is wrapped up in its own enigma, so to speak, in that we, we, we can't define it by its goodness. We can't define it by its actions. Some of the actions that one might make out of, um, out of that sort of divine urging within us might not make sense to the world. They didn't make sense when Jesus did it. He's one of our examples, one of our great master teachers who really came here to show us what it's like to live in the divine self. Um, and he, you know, he went around violating the, some of the Jewish codes that he was supposed to have lived by, uh, eating on the Sabbath and doing all kinds of things on the Sabbath that he wasn't supposed to do. So it might not be understandable to the world's, world's standards, and yet it is the truth. Um, and, 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 you know, that word truth is really hard to come by. It's really hard to say, well, this is truth and that's a not. And yet, when you're living in that knowledge of yourself, you know the difference. You can feel the difference inside yourself. You can tell when, when you're lying to yourself or when the world is lying to you and when there's a truth there. Because that truth is a central core essence. It is that essential truthness, if you can put it that way, um, that sort of verifies itself. Paul said that the Spirit witnesses to itself that it is divine. Uh, so when we, when we are aware, just aware of self, that is how we know it's divine. That awareness delivers further knowledge to us. So how do we come to know that? Well, meditation is definitely one of those ways we can gain that knowledge because we, we go beyond the realm of thought, and I don't believe that we suspend thought. That is not how, to, uh, how I, I recommend people meditate, trying to make themselves stop thinking. We don't stop thinking. We never stop thinking. We're even thinking when we're asleep. So we're not going to try to make ourselves stop thinking, but we are going to go beyond thought, even beyond feeling, to something even deeper than that. So that we're not, and we're not even really trying to do that, we're just being still. And as we're still, and we sit in the silence, and we listen to the silence, and we listen to the, the room sort of vibrating, and we listen to the deeper essences of ourselves, and we listen to our own thoughts as they kind of rumble by, and we're, we're just kind of present with ourselves, what begins to happen is doors and windows inside of us begin to open. And we begin to be allowed into the room to sup with the divine, which is us. And we, we begin to understand that we've never, ever been separated from that. That it has a, a core essential personhood uh, that is just who we are. It's a little bit like getting to know someone else. You know, as, as you get to know someone and you, you, you love them and you, you want to get to know them better and you want to understand them more, you don't necessarily have to put them on a pedestal. You know, in fact, you may know some pretty bad things about them. And yet you love them because, because you know them. That knowledge of them allows you to be intimate with their deepest essence. And that is what it is. That's what it means to, to understand the self as divine. Is to know it. 
it reveals itself to us as we get to know it. And so, what about action? What about thinking? What about feeling? Well, those, you know, uh, one of the things, again, in the Christian Bible that Paul talks about in the, in the book of Romans is, be, let your mind be transformed. And that's exactly what happens when we begin to meditate, when we begin to sort of walk in that deeper essence of who we are. What happens is that we begin to have our mind transformed by that. And we can we can even not even understand what's happening to our mind. Yesterday I believed this, but today that's just, I don't know, that's not true. It's not true anymore. And that happens as a part of getting to know ourselves as divine beings. So when we when we live into that kind of transformative power, it is extremely powerful. And that's one of the things we get to know about the divine self is that it has great power. That's what Jesus said when he said, because I go to the Father, greater things than these shall you do. And what were the these he was talking about? He was talking about healing people and raising people from the dead. Well, one of the questions I frequently ask about that is, well, what's greater than raising someone from the dead? Not dying? Hmm. Maybe that's one day possible for us, that we don't die anymore. I think it's very plausible. So when when we're tapping into that deep self, those are the kind of thoughts that come into our awareness that, wow, look, there's amazing power here. Amazing power to heal myself, to offer that healing to others. Of course, they have to choose to receive it, but we offer it. Um, to to be present with a greater, more expansive view of life, to be to find a blade of grass joyful, to 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 look up at the sky at night and be profoundly moved by the power that matches your own internal power, not just by wow, look how big that is, and isn't that amazing? That's a kind of intellectual view of it, but but rather that deeper kind of essence that says. That is the same as me. I am one with that. That's how we know that the self is divine. Because we experience the self as divine. And that's the knowledge that allows us to understand that the self is divine. Our experience is our greatest teacher. In fact, I believe that that's what we're here to do. And Again, I talked about that in the... In the uh, show about duality that was a few weeks ago where we're we're here to experience duality until we it no longer makes any sense to us <laughs> and we just sort of move closer to oneness um, it, it, just like we experience the identity until it no longer makes sense to us and we move into oneness so uh, the idea here is that the way to know that the divine that the self is the divine is to know the self Okay, I want to be real clear about that. The reason I say your job, should you choose to accept it, is to give birth to yourself is because that's the only way we're going to know who we actually are as divine beings is to give birth to ourselves. And the way we do that is to, to pay attention, to listen up, to, to walk through those open doors when they appear in our lives. When stress says, oh my God, this is so hard, this is unbearable, I can't stand this, then to say, okay, what, what's really going on here? How did I get myself into this mess? Who am I now? Those are really solid, good questions to ask that help us to begin to say, oh, okay, well, maybe I'm not really this. Maybe I'm really something else. I got all these other voices going on inside of me. Maybe that's what I really believe. 
maybe that's what's really true inside of me instead of all this other stuff that I got taught to believe. That's when we begin to walk through those doors. We have to have an open mind to do that. And in order to have an open mind, we have to have compensated for fear, at least in some kind of way. Because the thing that we're afraid of the most in this life is the fear of the unknown. We, we are most afraid of what we don't know. And the fact is, we don't know anything. <laughs> we know zero. But we can come to know the self. And that will then inform us of everything else. So that, that whole, the, the whole answer to what, what's divine about the self is, again, it's not about goodness or badness. It's not about, um, you know, trying to make yourself into someone, to improve yourself, to get a, become a better person. None of that. That's not what's divine about the self. What's divine about the self is the self. Just coming to know the self as self. And as you do, those deeper spiritual doors to the Imago Dei, as Carl Jung called it, begin to open. and We begin to understand, see, because it informs us. It informs us. We don't have to inform it. It informs us. So when we're talking about this whole thing of, uh, you know, last time I talked about surrendering to divine self. Well, when we talk about surrendering, what we mean is that we, there is something to surrender to. That there's, that there's a core place inside of us that I can just kind of let myself go into. And once you've experienced that, then you know where it is and you can go back to it any time you want. But you have to experience it the first time. And that's the hard part where people go, well, I just can't meditate. I can't make myself stop thinking. I just can't do that. Well, and I say, stop trying to make yourself stop thinking. Who stops thinking? Nobody stops thinking. Stop doing that. So, so, um, but I can't, we can say, just sit, be quiet, sit and listen to what's going on around you and in you. And doors will automatically begin to open. Why? Because the divine self is powerful. It wants us to know it. It's not just sitting there indifferent going, yeah, come and get me. <laughs> you know, come find me behind that big, black, ugly, huge lead wall. No, no, it's not doing that. It's saying... Uh, every time you open the door a crack, I'm coming through because I want to be one with you. I want your identity to merge with my oneness. I want you to walk around in the world as one with the divine self. I want this. And so when we sit down, that phrase in, in, in Psalms, uh, I think it's Psalm 642, says, Be still and know that I am. Be still and know that I am God is what it says. I think we've translated that wrong. I don't think it means be still to know that there's a big God up there that's going to take care of you. I think it means be still to know that I am divine. And when we are still, that is what we know. And people down through the centuries, writers, spiritual leaders, saints, uh, people like Merton and uh, all the great saints, Teresa of Avila, all of those people have told us that the same thing that I'm saying here today. The, the, the research is out there that when, when people have an experience with the divine, regardless of religion, regardless of religion, it's the same experience, at least qualitatively. 
um, that it's 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 similar in that it ha- that people have a unitive experience, people understand deeper aspects of who they are and of who that what their relationship is to the divine in the world. They come to understand oneness. They are enlightened. They walk away from those encounters very different. Um, those are the they are all the same kind of experiences. So. What we want to do is look at the words on a piece of paper that somebody else translated into their vernacular based in their experience of duality, and we want to say that's the truth. But we fail to look inside ourselves for that truth. We never ask ourselves, do I really, really, really believe that, or am I just trying to get myself to believe that? When we can get past trying to get ourselves to believe something because we're afraid and start, get, start just being with what is inside of us, that's when we know ourselves to be divine. And the knowledge presents itself to us. We don't have to go looking for it. It's already there. It just comes forward. And then we can go, oh, there I am. There I am. That's me. I am a divine being who has forgotten who she is. As we all are. So, what I would say to you today is this thing. We talked last time again about surrendering to the divine self, and I'm not going to go over that again today. But what I would say to you is the way to know that yourself, your deepest core essence is divine, is to sit with it and let it tell you. So that's all we have for today. And remember, your job, should you choose to accept it, is to give birth to yourself. See you next week. Thanks again for listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Join us again next Wednesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern Time here on the 7th Wave Network. We'll talk again next week.